Hello, welcome back to On The House, where we talk politics over a pint after Parliament. We're here at the Feathers in Westminster, with this inexhaustible supply of Nobby's Nuts. I'm Sam Jima, Lib Dem MP for East Surrey. I'm here every Thursday with Philip Lee, Plaza Friends and Friendly Rivals. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite app. Philip, our excitement at the House reconvening is somewhat cared this week, isn't it? Boris Johnson is going to prorogue Parliament again on Tuesday. I'm surprised he dared ask the Queen. Well, I mean, I... Well, look, I mean, they have to do this in order to have a Queen's speech. Presumably, it isn't to vote on a Queen's speech because they haven't got a majority to get it to pass. So I guess it's all part of this this plan that they're trying to tee up a general election so the her sovereign is being wheeled out to basically outline what the policies are going to be for the uh, Tory manifesto for the general election to come well, this is a short prorogation four days to write a Queen's speech after all so the mind boggles as to why they needed five weeks the last time they tried I mean honestly I mean it, it's so obvious that it was being used as a device to, I don't know, prevent the opportunities for Parliament to take issue with the Brexit that Number 10 wants to push through. And uh, it's been found out for what it was, which was essentially a lie. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's been exposed to the nation um, because when it comes to making a decision on who you vote for uh, in elections, generally speaking, I'm hoping that liars don't get voted for. Well, 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 well. I think it's um, interesting to see whether this Queen's speech actually gets through, given the government has a majority of minus 45. I suspect they're probably going, going to try and wrap some kind of Brexit deal into it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I guess what, what are they going to do? I mean, they're going to try lots of different things here, but ultimately um, their offer that they've made to Brussels this week, uh, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a bit later on, it's just that it's an offer. It's rather, I'm not, expe- I'm not expecting the other side to think it's an offer worth taking, um, and so I'm not even sure that we're going to get to vote cleanly on on what they're describing as a deal. But something which we both know is not a deal. It's it's a sort of an arrangement. It's like a separation before divorce. Um, but if we do get to that, then maybe colleagues will vote for it. But. I don't know. I just can't see that happening. I think the other side in Brussels thinks that this is just not acceptable to protect the integrity of the single market and the customs union. Well, before we were, we're obviously going to um, discuss this in detail, so let's sort of dr- try and dwell on a couple of personal things. Now, I've got to say up front that I got told off by my mother-in-law last week, who I hadn't realised listens to this podcast. Because when I was asked, what am I going to do at the weekend? And I said, play with the children. My mother-in-law then texted later saying, isn't it your wedding anniversary this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> so she told me off for that. So th- that, that's what I was doing. But, but Philip, you've got, you, you have exciting news this week, right? I think I've got yeah. to stop introducing you as the Liberal Democrat MP for Bracknell. Well, no, no, I remain the Liberal Democrat MP for Bracknell. Ah, but I am going to be the Liberal Democrat candidate for the next door constituency of Wokingham um, in in Berkshire. Um, I've been I was approached after I crossed the floor to become the candidate. Um, the party um, were very keen for me to take take the place because we've um, the party's done extremely well in local elections and Euro elections in recent years. And however difficult it is to sort of say goodbye to the Bracknell constituency and it genuinely is because I've built a a wide network of friends, supporters, contacts and what have you over the last decade, uh, virtually a decade. Um, Ultimately this is about the Liberal Democrats and the Liberal Democrats doing as well as they can do in the upcoming general election and uh, you know most people told me that you're better off for the party's sake being in, in Wokingham. For me, it's not like it's a big step. It literally is crossing a couple of fields. Um, it's, it, it's uh, you know, and I'm, I'm really pleased and proud um, to have been asked to do so and now officially the candidate for the Liberal Democrats in Wokingham. Is it a leave seat? Is it a remain seat? I mean, it's got John Redwood, uber Brexiteer, as its current MP. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, John. The politics look. I mean, look. I mean, in defence of John Redwood, he's been consistent about this over many, 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 many years. I mean, he has constantly said that we're better off out of the European Union. I mean, he's not even bothered about getting an arrangement or a deal. He just wants to leave tomorrow and thinks that's going to be fantastic for all the businesses in Wokingham. He's also consistently thinks climate change is nonsense and it's not happening. Um, so it's a perfect I, opponent for you. I, I mean, I, you know, well, I mean, when I look at this constituency itself, which was, I think, 57-43 Remain in 2016, and if it's anything like Bracknell constituency, it will have become more Remain since. You're looking at 60-40 Remain. You know, all those young people under 45 who, who do recognise that global warming and climate change is an issue, I think they're all thinking that it's time for a change in Wokingham and hopefully they'll support me some. Excellent. Well, I look forward to campaigning there with you. Our special guest this week is Will Hutton, economist, columnist, former editor-in-chief at The Observer, principal of Hartford College, Oxford, tribune of Keynesianism before it was cool, and if the track record of this podcast is anything to go by, might be voting Liberal Democrat sometime soon. (laughs) Hello, Will. Welcome to On The House. How are you? I'm extraordinarily well and pleased to be here. And interested to hear, I mean, what it must be like for you guys, you know, doing this... Uh, the day after the end of a Tory party conference where you were both at it last year, actually. And Philip, you were kind of Tories for the uh, people's vote, weren't you? Yeah, 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 absolutely. um, Last year at conference, I didn't feel terribly at home um, because I'd come out, as you may recall, as a minister, I, I sort of left government June 2018 and I turned up at conference and spoke at a few fringe meetings, one of which was very well attended, Conservatives for People's Vote uh, um, meeting. And um, I did feel somewhat detached from where my then party was going. And, uh, and here we are a year or so later and I've attended a Liberal Democrat conference and I've been a spectator from a distance of the Conservative conference. It's, it's and he now owns some yellow ties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've changed my wardrobe as well. <laughs> yes, you changed your wardrobe. Well, you wrote a pithy piece in The Observer, I think um, quite recently, about what, it is, what is it about Britain that's producing a litany of failed leaders? Yeah. Could you just sort of just spend a few minutes talking to us about kind of what your thesis is on that? Well, I mean, I just think that... Uh, We've had a string of political leaders. Um, Johnson's but the latest. Um, Tony Blair was among them, I have to say. David Cameron, certainly. Who are... They don't really get, I think, what's been happening in the east-west Midlands, Yorkshire-Humber side, the north-west, the north-east of England. I mean, all those five big regions have had, over the last few years, declining life expectancy. And parts of them are in kind of desperate economic and social conditions and actually you know David Cameron's memoir uh, has just come out when he he says we could have done more austerity without really kind of recognizing what a what an extraordinary kind of impact it had on on the on the body social in Britain and I think it's a, 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 it's partly about the way the Westminster system is very concentrated. It's partly about actually our officer class has um, ceased to have touch points uh, with the, with you know, men and women from ordinary walks of life. I mean, after the both world wars, you would find leading politicians in, in our main political parties. I'm thinking of you know Harold Macmillan and the Tories. Uh, Ted Heath and the Tories, Dennis Healy and the Labour Party, who had actually commanded men in battle. And they kind of, they wouldn't buy for a nanosecond this kind of stuff that these are scroungers, that they're shirkers, that actually the, the, the communities in which they live should bootstrap themselves up by their own kind of efforts that they should be left to the tender mercy of markets. So, so because the war was a great social leveller. A great social le- it was a great, that's much social leveller. I mean, you know, you knew that the, 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 
if you were a guy in the trenches, you, you knew the captain had gone to a great public school, but actually was going over the top like you were, facing the same bullets. And actually he knew, going over the top, that he needed flanking fire from his men. You kind of knew that you were, that you were part of the same kind of community, and we've lost that. But, but if you bring that back to where we are now, you know, um, the government, I mean, if you, the Conservative Party conference was essentially a spending spree. Right? The Conservatives have found their own magic money tree. You know, if you're being critical, that's what you would say. The um, question is whether they can afford it. But by your own logic, it seems that you would say that they've finally discovered what's the, what they need to do in um, to win over the Midlands and the North. Well, I mean, obviously, that's what they're trying to do. I mean, but I don't. I, you know, when Boris Johnson going to going to hospitals, is it completely unpersuasive? Um, largely because you know, in his heart of hearts, if it really came to it, he would go privately. Similarly, you know, he's been educated privately, and you know, he's, you know, he 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 isn't he, the heartbeat. And, uh, you know, you're both ex-conservatives, so you know the party better than I do. But, I mean, the heartbeat of too many people, in my view, in the higher echelons of the Tory party, and actually you can make the same criticism to an extent of parts of the Labour Party, but less so. Um, they they are, are kind of um, dissociated from the life experience of the people they purport to lead and, and, and manage. I, I really don't believe that... Um, Brexit Britain, and you both have got great track records of being Remainers and, and actually standing by your beliefs by leading a political party. And oh, you can another. come again. That, that's a big, <laughs> no, it's a big bloody deal. It's a yeah. big bloody deal to do that. But I mean, you know, and so in a sense, you know, your actions have, you know, speak that you're sympathetic to the kind of things I'm saying, otherwise you wouldn't have done what you've done. But I, I yeah, so go on, Philip. No, I was just going to come in that when I made this across the floor it actually wasn't just about Brexit um, I had joined the Tories under John Major and for me John Major sort a of good man. Yeah, a personified good man. the sort of conservative I was and I'd stayed on board the ship through all of the difficult times of Hague and Duncan Smith and everything else because I thought the Tory party back at John Major was at its strongest both electorally but also in terms of its what it actually sought to do the wideness of its appeal yeah and, and i um i started to worry about because i i, I don't know if you know this but i work in quite a challenging community as a doctor still and have done all the way through all of oh, this right. in slough oh yes that was what triggered your yeah that extraordinary exchange with jacob rees yes yes that was unbelievable that stuff yes and so i um i started to look at my community that i was serving do you want to tell us a bit more about this exchange well just the exchange the is around um, I'm Listeners. trying to remember the chap, uh, Dr. Nickel, who was the, ch the doctor who had um, had uh, written the Yellow Hammer, the medical part of the Yellow Hammer report. And I mentioned it on the day that I crossed the floor and said that it was the straw that broke the camel's back because he um, basically attacked this doctor for scaremongering. And if there's one thing that you can't do as a doctor, particularly with the general medical counselling guidelines... In, um, it was outrageous, wasn't it? Because yeah. he, he was actually uh, on the Brexit yes. planning committee and yes. he was actually saying there will be shortages of drugs yes. and then you know this accused of scaremongering it was it was so Absolutely. outrageous so, so 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 i was like sitting there again you know i'm an evidence-based person because that's my training that's my my qualifications are, are, are follow evidence it's, that's how you practice medicine um and i was thinking this party that i was in was no longer about evidence this party did not seem to understand the community that I was actually looking after as a, uh, as a doctor. And I was, you know, over many, many years, I've been reading books on the limits to markets and everything else. And I perhaps, and I reflect back, naively thought the Conservative Party would be able to pivot back to realising that current capitalism isn't delivering. I am a capitalist, Will. I would describe myself as thinking that the market has a place, but there are certain areas where it doesn't work. But I don't think the Conservative Party now, and indeed in the future, was ever going to be able to deal well, with we that. Never, I mean, I don't know whether you've been following the debate, but I mean, only last month, in, uh, the end of August, actually, where it's, it's going to six weeks ago now, in October, in October so it's the end of August, the American Business Roundtable 
um, got 180 chief executives to sign a, a declaration, a two-paragraph declaration, in which they said the purpose of capitalism is not about the pursuit of short-term profit. It's about running organizations holistically, taking into account all their stakeholders to better society. society. Now, come on, that's what I wrote about in the state we're in, in the, the mid-90s. I know, I was I know. about to mention that's that. And then there, there are, you know, and I can't, you know, my... That was, the, that was a textbook for me at university. But it's jaw-dropping <laughs> for me to find, you know, 25 years on, and actually Lionel Barber, the editor of the Financial Times, wrote a letter 10 days ago to every FT subscriber calling for a reset of British capitalism because mm. it was plainly dysfunctional. Now, I, you know, yes. and I'm, a, I'm for capitalism too. I'm the author of the idea of stakeholder capitalism. So, you know, I'm with you. you know, I mean, the idea that these ideas that Angela Ledson and Brexiters are in, are in this kind of place... I mean, no, they're not. They're come, just, they, don't but, but think get, they don't understand what, I'm, what, what we're talking about. But it doesn't tie the conversation to the Conservative Party. So you've got those Brexiteers who want Singapore on Thames, but the Conservative Party conference was about a lot of spending pledges. And I think there are two questions. Are these affordable now? And what happens in the context of a no-deal Brexit? And your point that where you started with, Will, which is connecting with these lost communities, does this in any way get the Conservative Party there? Look, um, first of all, um, I am pleased that um, we're going to um, raise uh, the minimum wage to two thirds of the median wage. The Sajid Javid commitment. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, I don't. I am concerned, by the way, that doing it over five years uh, and doing it kind of clumsily could actually begin to create you know, unemployment, you know, particularly for young people. But leave that as... But it's a, nonetheless, it's the right direction of travel. But they, sh secondly, they should have involved the Lord yeah, yeah, Commission yeah. in that. But, I mean, secondly, you know, I am, am, I, am I pleased or am I that actually the, the Tory party is turning its back on mindless austerity? Yes. But here's the big point. You know, if you're going to do something about these communities, you know, the Wiggins, the Corbys, uh, the Scunthorpes, you know, particularly coastal Britain, by the way. The referendum, arguably, arguably, was lost in coastal Britain. There's, there's millions of people who disproportionately voted. The, the votes in coastal Britain, and there's coast, Yarmouth, uh, Portsmouth, um, Plymouth. Clacton. Clacton. They, they were voting 65, 70% leave. Uh, you know, the end of the line coastal towns. We kind of lost it on the coast. You know, indiscriminate kind of, you know, I'm going to build 40 hospitals. You know, I'm going to build, you know, um, the Trans-Pennine um, Railway. It's what you, you've got to have a much more strategic and targeted kind of, and actually... Sustainable. And sustainable, but above all, a sensibility about what it's like to be born in one of these places and not to made to feel that you that no one gives a shit, not to feel that you've been left behind, and, and not not to have a sense of and I don't think, you know, watching someone like Boris Johnson make those commitments, I'm absolutely sure they don't speak to the denizens of Black of Clacton. I mean, because they kind of know that actually it's transient. And anyone who thinks that Boris Johnson and the cabal around him have got their interests at heart need their heads examining. So, so basically, my, my magic monetary is bigger than yours, is not the way to solve these issues. I think there is a meta problem here with the Conservative Party. I don't know what conservative economic thinking is anymore. No, it's non-existent. It doesn't I'm, exist. Now, but, but now, now, Philip, I mean, and Sam, I mean, you picked up the state we're in, and, you know, I mean... And the world we're in. And the world, and the world we're a good man. I mean, you, you know my work. I mean, to what extent are you two within the Liberal Democrats? I mean, here's the editor of the Financial Times talking for a reset in British capitalism. You are... You've left the Tory party. Are you going to push for this within the Liberal Democrats? Because if, if you're talking about what you're going to do about Left Behind Britain, you've got to talk about a reset of British capitalism. I, I think, for me, that is... Um, the big opportunity. I was I was never going to ask for the whip back when the whip was withdrawn. I was ready to leave politics. You know, I don't. I, I just, but when I spoke to Joe Swinson, what I saw as the opportunity was to build something new and different in the centre. And on economic policy, it's not about going back to what's been tried and failed. 
but a reset of capitalism that even CEOs of big investment banks on Wall Street are now talking about. Jamie Dimon was the guy who you know, runs Morgan Stanley. He was the guy who pulled together the American Business Roundtable. And by the way, you know, signatures included some of the biggest asset managers in the world. You know, and I'm, I'm quite certain that Elizabeth Warren is going to win the Democrat nomination. You know, the world is changing in front of our eyes, you know, and the wind is blowing for a different quarter. Yes, it is. And I think, I guess, as I, moving on to that, um, I, I've long been concerned about how the world, the direction the world is going in, the state of democracy, particularly liberal democracy in Western society, the pressures of movement of migration, as people quite understandably, they, they, they've got their mobile phones, they can see the lives that others are leading in other parts of the world, and they're moving to try to have similar lifestyles. And this is why I find Brexit is just, in the middle of all of this, doesn't make any sense to me, because it's almost like it's a third, fourth order thing. We, we are confronted by changes in society and in the world which involve needing nation states in an old Westphalian concept thereof to work together. Quite right. Climate change, to get, we've got to work together. Migration. On resetting capitalism, by the way. Exactly. On migration, absolutely. Yes, on uh, capitalism, quarterly reports in companies. We need actually, to work you know, it, it, you know, finding antibiotics that work as antibiotics yes, kind of, you know, come yes, on. You know, so, yes, exactly. These the challenge borders, of pandemics, you know, yeah, yeah, all yeah. of those things. And I've never understood this this desire to, to get back Britain is if somehow that's actually in Britain's interest that nationalism, some sort of parochial view of the world, is in the national interest. It most certainly isn't. And I and I I mean I think I know what you think, but, but tell me I think it's <laughs> well I, I think I'm with you. I just want to know I mean we could talk about this for quite a while. But do we do we want to just dwell for a little bit on this week's news? Yeah. Right. Boris Johnson has finally made an offer to the EU. And normally when you want to get a deal, you make an offer the other side can't refuse. It strikes me that he's gone for the, an offer they can refuse. Well, what's going to, what, they've already refused it. The European Parliament's refused it. The Irish Prime Minister, Taoiseach, has refused it. Um, and actually, uh, you know, I was talking uh, earlier on today to um, someone who's very close to kind of the Brussels scene of the British negotiating team and, and you know it is clear that they're being polite because we're in now into the blame game this offer be under no doubt whatsoever Johnson knows may bring the DUP and, and his Europhobes behind him but it can't be accepted by Ireland by the European Union and won't be and so it's now we're down to the blame game. He wants to position himself. This idea it's a reasonable and constructive offer is nonsensical because you've got to make an offer about which you can at least negotiate over. But there's, <laughs> but there's no... But there's, he's a, a, saying it's non-negotiable, and B, even what's on offer, even if negotiated with, doesn't get you to position which actually would preserve an all-island economy and the peace in Northern Ireland. So we know this will fail, and we know that the objective is to have a no-deal Brexit or for him to resign and walk away from the whole thing, blaming Remainers like us for the debacle to which he's led us. And we have to be absolutely alert to that. That's what's going on here. But objectively speaking, is it better than the May deal or worse than the May deal? Is it good for Ireland? What does it mean for GB? Objecti objectively, it's worse than um, the May deal because actually and what the May deal did have via the backstop was actually keeping us in the whole country because of the backstop. We were all kept in the customers' yeah. union single market. That was the big compromise yeah. by Brussels. That That's was right. the big compromise by Brussels for the transitional period and maybe a basis on which to kind of have a free trade agreement beyond. That's actually now been largely lost. And if you're working in Northern Ireland, you face not one but two sets of regulations. You know, trading with trading to your east as it will be for them in mainland Britain, trading to your south in Ireland. I mean, it's absolutely crucifying to the Northern Irish economy. I mean, the DUP may say, hurrah, but actually what's extraordinary in Northern Ireland is the unanimous, cross-the-board um, view from small business and larger business alike, this is a disaster. I mean, you know, so 
I mean, yes, it keeps the DUP and the European Research Group on side, but that is, you know, that is not a platform which to negotiate with the rest of the world. It's a kind of completely distorted view of what the world is. So it sounds like to the extent that this deal or this proposal is not even a deal, is a compromise. It is Johnson compromising with the DUP and the ERG. Precisely. Rather than with the EU. So and you know these guys well. I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, the idea that people like Marc Francois has a kind of prominent place in British national life. I mean, he's uh, like Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean, he is a... Uh, I've often, won I, I often thought to myself, actually, how could men like you two be in the same party as Marc Francois? Well, actually, you've given me the answer. Well, we've answered uh, the question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a creature. I mean, what a man. Ah, however. Um, but, 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 I mean, so where do we go from here? I mean, again... Exactly. Where do we I go want, from here? Here's what I want. I want over the next two or three weeks, and you two actually could be fundamental in this, I want to see a caretaker government, I want to see Johnson ousted via a vote of no confidence, I want to see a caretaker government, and I want to see a commitment to have a referendum ASAP, and a commitment to extend Article 50, um, which I'm sure the Europeans will give us while that process goes on. And by the way, we'll win a second referendum. Who do you want leading the caretaker government? Now, here's the point. I mean, I am no... I mean, look, it's open. I mean, you read my stuff and you reread my tweets. I am no fan of Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, anti-Semitism, um, um, his particular position in the Labour Party, the, ki the kinds of policy framework, and in particular, you know, unleashing kind of all these this deselection process on, on really great Labour MPs. However, and here's... I'm going to hear what you think about it. In politics, you know, the, the greater the greater good at the moment is that we have a caretaker government and a commitment to a referendum. And I personally, if we can't if, if we can't get any other way, I'd hold my nose and actually go with Corbyn. You would hold your nose and go with Corbyn. Philip, what's I your think, response? I think, I think it's appropriate to show respect to the leader of the opposition. Precisely. Um, I get that, but the reality is, Will, there are not the numbers in the House um, that will support him. There so two, there are 245 Labour MPs. Even they don't. There'll be, there'll be <laughs> 10 or 12 who will, who will vote for the deal. We've got 18 Lib Dems, and we've got 30 or so Scott Nats. We have a short three. We have, we do have close to 300 Labour MPs, 300 MPs, yeah. two, and we've got 289 Tories taking the whip. We just need the 21 Tories to but, abstain, and that's the problem. If they just abstain, but that's the problem. They voted. They won't get. They would yeah, So, it. so, so I think. I mean, it's interesting. If you speak to some Labour MPs, there's not a always enthusiasm to be front and centre in a caretaker government delivering an extension because of the Labour leave vote in the Midlands of the North. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the responsible thing for government, for Parliament to do now is to set about trying to form an alternative administration to the current one. And I think there to are... To the current do-nothing yeah, administration. And I think that... It's a bridge government. Yes. It's just a bridge to the referendum. And the know. single purpose of that should be the delivery of a final say for the British public. And I also have share your optimism and confidence that the British public, if given an explicit, detailed, legally and practically deliverable Brexit, they will vote Remain. Because our problem last time round was we were campaigning against something that was cake and eat it. It was anything that anybody wanted it to be because it hadn't been defined. And so I, am, I agree with you in that, but I, I fear that if we're to advance this, there has to be some flexibility from the Labour leadership. And, I mean, I would go further. Any, go on, go on, go on. I'll go further and say the kind of caretaker prime minister that all the different factions in the House of Commons or parties would sign up to is actually someone who doesn't want the job <laughs> in the long term but has the respect and the status to an authority for the whole house and I think by that definition who is your money on? Who is your money it on? rules out anyone who is a party leader <laughs> because all the party leaders by definition, have to advance their party Ken interest. Uh, Mar Ken Clark, the, re the reason why Ma can is that you Margaret Becker. Margaret Becker would be better because Margaret Beckett is at least. I mean, you you have got the bu the the bulk of the people who are going to be you know g g giving the majority in the House of Commons are going to be Labour. 
And Margaret, I mean, Margaret is a solid citizen. I mean, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm very fond of her, actually. I think she's good. good so, so, so say you have Margaret Beckett, that, that's absolutely fine. But then that caretaker government would have to immediately deal with some big issues. And this is why the prime minister is important. So if you're going to have a referendum, you immediately come across issues like what is the franchise? You know, and that you would have to pass 16 to 18 year olds. If you're going to say that you need votes across the House of Commons, well, what, and that what, is what, what is the franchise, Sam? Go on, you, you, what do you think the franchise should be for a, a second referendum? I think that it will be 16 year olds will be in play, but not just 16 year olds, whether it's all UK residents and not just. Um, UK um, uh -huh. nationals, yeah, the right? The people who take a settled status recently and all that. Exactly. Well, and what, have, a, what does this mean for, for yeah. a subsequent general election? And I think because you've, got, because you've got these very thorny issues, that is why I think the caretaker prime minister has got to be above the party fray because there is no way you can actually navigate this path if in the House of Commons it is seen as one party using this opportunity to advance its own political interest. And which is why I think it's the Corbyn thing is particularly problematic. That's a good argument. That's a good argument. I mean, for my money, I mean, if, if we get to a situation either side of the council, uh, which is, you know, only you know, 10 days away, you know, I mean, br I mean, brutally, I mean, I'm going to... I do think, I mean, I think Corbyn would be wise to listen to those arguments, by the way. I mean, Corbyn, it's a poison chalice um, because you're going to get, you're going to be called the surrender prime minister, the surrender parliament, you know, and, but here's my big point. I'd go to Corbyn. If the choice is ultimately Corbyn and a referendum or allowing Johnson to plough on, I'm going to go with Corbyn. Corbyn. Are you confident Corbyn would deliver a referendum? That's the only terms in which you would get an extension of support of the of the of MPs like you. You couldn't. I mean, you couldn't honestly put your hand on your heart unless you knew that was cast in blood. Oh, I'm never going to support Corbyn. I'm I'm, I'm not going to back Corbyn. Even if it means a referendum. I mean, we have sometimes in life we have to kind of do things that you know. I mean. Yeah, I mean, so what if there's so many things? Once the caretaker person is in there, they are prime minister, and um, Corbyn's attitude to NATO, for example. Yeah, what his, if his ongoing majority in the House of Commons only exists because he's keep, I mean, he's, keep, he's keeping folk like you at least abstaining. Uh, you know, he, and all I'm trying to say is, look, after the after the referendum, I ran across. And an old friend of mine, I've known him for years, who was a Tory. And, you know, he and I had, had lots of kind of uh, bitter eyes. You know him, actually, Andrew Tyree. And actually, oh, Andrew's I, a great yeah, man. He's a good man. And actually, you know, and I... And we had this kind of 50-minute discussion. It was kind of midday on the 24th of June. And I kind of thought to myself, I've had so many run-ins over the years with you, but here we are, two Remainers, and actually... You know, we, we both want to stay in the European Union. We're both for openness. We're both for tolerance. We, we're, we both have an idea of where Britain sits in the international scheme of things. I mean, these are the meta questions. And actually, what's my argument with him? I and mean, I've got the second order and third order arguments with him. And I kind of feel the same thing now. I feel that, you know, it's, kind of, it's not quite, but it's close to May 1940, you know. And moments like this in national life, you just... You know, you got to you find yourself swimming in the same pond as people you wouldn't otherwise do. You know, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm, I think, you know, and, 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 and here, and here, and here I, we I, I are. I wish I kept a diary. Well, to be honest with you, the people I've been swimming in a pond with over the last 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> um, <but> I, <laughs> The other big news this week is the Conservative Party conference and Boris Johnson's first speech at his first conference. Who's going to go first? Well, someone sent me a link to an Alan Bastard uh, conference <laughs> <speech>. <laughs> 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 And I just thought how prescient was Rick Mail in about 1991 or whatever. Because? Because it was all very sort of 
nationalistic, this sense of I'm on your side and I'm going to get Britain back for you as if somehow something had been lost. That was the, 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 the awful sort of powerful nature of that hashtag, take back control. It just implied that we'd lost something, which in fact, actually, we'd gained so much over the last four to five decades. And I just look at him and he's just... You know, this man is, he is like every other politician like him in history. He's, you know he doesn't believe it. If you, you know he's just singing a song that's going to rouse the, the, the public. It's sort but, of, but, and, but and he's going to get Brexit done. And I find is it working? It, I find it really, I've, I found it very difficult to watch because I, I fear it might be effective. That's so you think get Brexit done is working? I, 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 I'm, is it working? I mean, look, I mean, one of the things that were, I think, George Osborne and David Cameron found shocking in 2016 was the first time they fought a political campaign without the Tory press at their side. And actually, you know, get Brexit done with the kind of four riders of the apocalypse, Telegraph Express, Sun and Mail, <laughs> riding behind you, you know, is, is not a, you know, can be compelling. But here's the point. I, there are countervailing things going on in British life. And I'm, I'm... You see, I don't think that... Um, and I've thought this for a long time. I don't think... And there's a reason why, ultimately, we are right and we will prevail. And those of us who believe in the European Union... And all the ideas, by the way, that sit behind that. Philip, I think you're absolutely right. It's not just about the European Union. It's a much bigger story. We will ultimately prevail because the, the cultural tinder on which, you know, the Tory party is currently making its case is just too thin. Yes. I know, and you felt it in, in Boris Johnson's speech. You know, you can make this grandiose appeal and, and joke about um, the speaker having to eat a kangaroo's testicles. But, I mean, you know, beyond that, what? What was the, what was the, what was the, what was the kind of, what was the intellectually coherent uh, glue behind that? You know, we talked earlier, how is that going mani to manifest itself in what you do about uh, a town like Yarmouth or a town like Grimsby or a town like um, Scarborough, Wigan, that's in such difficulty? You know, what does he, ha what, what does he, ha what does he have to say um, to them? And actually, I, you know, I, I don't think that seeing that kind of Etonian buffoonery on display, you know, they see him as a, as a member of an officer class whom they can't relate to. And actually, you guys and the Lib Dems, you play your cards right, could, for my money, you might do unexpectedly well in the general election, especially kind of the more the country sees of Johnson. Already his, his standing, his, his ratings are lower than Theresa May. I mean, that's quite a thing. And I think the more we see of him, the less we're going to like. And that's, his standings are lower after two months in office yeah. than Theresa May after three years in office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty shocking. It's amazing. And actually, you know, and I, you know, I, you know, I know the guy. I want, there was a period in my life when we both were. I was working as economist of the Guardian, and he was working as the European editor of the Telegraph. And actually, you know, I mean, we would swap. We would swap notes at the end of, um, kind of, kind of, in the bar before writing our stories. And actually, I always sort of think, well, how did Boris actually get to the story he's actually come up with for the Telegraph? You know. Could I, could I, could I, could I, could, you know, I know what he knew because, I mean, we'd shared it. I mean, and all the people who've worked with him throughout his journalistic life and his political career, you know, know the guy, you know, kind of, the words leave his lips and he kind of believes them. But actually, what sits behind them are not fact and evidence. It's kind of what he wants to believe and what he thinks is evidence. And I, you know, you can't be prime minister like that. You just can't do it. His prime ministership will be one of the great failures in British public life over the last, kind of, in my view, kind of since the war, and maybe, and maybe before that. But, 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 I mean, you're right. He's not acting prime ministerially. He's he's acting as a campaigner. And Michael Gove says he's the Pep Guardiola of politics. He's going to win the next election. 
do you I mean do you subscribe to that no I mean he's uh, who was that Italian footballer who played for it was either Man City or Man United scored a goal um, for Italy against us in the World Cup is this Mario Balotelli Mario Balotelli I think he's the Mario City. Balotelli of British politics he's not the Pep Guardiola <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mercurial Mercurial scores the occasional goal but ultimately implodes on you and not reliable and fundamentally unreliable I like him what was Balotelli doing he was playing fireworks in his hotel bedroom you know I mean I, he's an extraordinary footballer I mean I you know disciplined all the time no that's who he is that's who good so we've got the Mario Balotelli of the uh, of football leading the conservative party and <laughs> worryingly for us um, the prime minister of this country at a critical time in not our worryingly enough come on now, let's get this it is a national crisis that someone like him is leading a major political party, which it remains, at a time in our national affairs like this. I mean, this is, Absolutely. I mean, come on. You know, to leave the European Union with all that entails. But what does know. that say about the political scene in general? That somebody who is widely known within the, the Westminster village as being not a man for detail. Um, all of his private life is widely known and discussed and probably priced in. Um, all of those things... I'm not sure. You asked me to arrive at a tipping point. I mean, you know, Donald Ooh. Trump has arrived at a tipping point. Yeah. There'll, be, there'll be a tipping point moment for Johnson year long. How long uh, it will be, we don't know, my, but it will come. I guess my point is, is that how has someone who got sacked, I think, from the Times for, for making up sources on newspaper articles, how can it be that the British political scene, and indeed our former colleagues in the Conservative Party, would have gone along with elevating this man who we're all agreeing around this table think we don't believe he is um, fit for office how has this happened will i mean you, you're looking i mean we, we get a bit sucked in sam and i because we're in the village all the time but you're you're somewhat outside of it you're you're up in oxford you're probably at high table having having suppers and discussing these things how are you how do you think this is nice claret <laughs> thank you very much um, um uh, it's not that, I mean, uh, you know, Oxford's much more normal than you think, actually. It's, it's people having supper around a glass of wine. But look, I mean, the, um, how does it happen? I mean, uh, um, Boris, it's, it's the emergence of presidential politics. That's one thing that's happened. Another thing that's happened, I think, and you, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to counter-challenge to you guys. I mean, actually, I think there's an element to which first past the post-voting system, and, and the Tory party, you know, if you, if you want to be, if, if you want to kind of pursue a successful career in politics, hold a ministerial position, um, retire from politics and get the non-executive directorships and standing that actually your political career has, has produced you, better be a member of the Tory party because, you know, receive pronunciation, um, going along to the Lord Lieutenant's fate in whatever county your constituency is in. Better be a Tory than be a Labour guy. And actually, the Tory party knows about winning. And, and you know, they, I, I think a lot of your colleague, former colleagues in the Tory party have held their nose because they actually think that Boris Johnson might deliver between 35 and 40% of the popular vote in a general election, they might hold on to their seat and they might get that ministerial preferment. And they, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want to... I can only... That's the only way I can explain to myself Matthew Hancock and Nicky Morgan, for example. That's the only way I can explain a raft of junior ministers and, and ministers of state. I mean, and they're not... It takes, you know... It takes bravery, ultimately, to be in politics. It takes... You've got a line of sight on what you think your country needs to do, where the conditions of the time are, and then do it. And one of the things... You know, I, you know frankly, I came along on this podcast because, you know, you've shown bravery, both of you, you know? And you've, Thank you've, you. No, no, come on, you, ha you have. And actually, the things you said earlier on in this discussion, resetting capitalism, the kind of the big picture about where Britain sits in the international scheme of things, you are absolutely right. And, you know, too few people display that kind of bravery 
across the political spectrum. To explain that is hard, and I think it's maybe because, you know, careers in politics have become too siloed. You know, well, it's you, party, the, the party machines and, and the party own machine, your yeah. career. And so if you want a, what is a conventional political career, you've got to be a party man or woman. But in terms of rising up to the big challenge that our country faces, I think one of the problems we've got is people like you, us, and yeah, many others, we don't sit in the same place. Too many of the quote-unquote centrists are lone voices in their parties. And as a result, I think it's it's difficult to get traction for what should be a new agenda for our country. But that, that I mean, I could go no, on about that for a long why, time. Why Boris Johnson? And yes, I think, exactly. and I, and or I think Dominic if, Cummings. I think you I think, can't I, discuss Boris Johnson well, without discussing yeah. Boris. Although Dominic he, Cummings. you know, you've got to talk about the master, not not the voice. But I give you that. I mean, well, Dominic Cummings himself is a you know a, a creature of the deep lagoon. I mean, I, uh, I mean. Uh, you know, I mean, something Could certain... Just explain that, that for us. Well, this is, I think, un- I mean, unpack that. Well, I, I, I find him scarcely credible. I mean, he, uh, the, way he, the way he dresses, the way he disports himself, his incredible arrogance, the, the, his view that he's naturally cleverer than anyone else. I thought the portrayal of him by Benedict Cumberbatch, when at one stage in that Ch- Channel 4 film, he holds his his ear to the ground because he can hear the mood of England better than anyone else. I mean, what total bullshit. Well, I mean, I, I, mean I, I, I sort of look at him and I just think he's having a midlife crisis, actually, when I see what he's wearing. And I, and I just think he's a, he sort of almost thinks he's a Steve Jobs of politics. Yeah. Well, if he's Steve Jobs, I mean, I'm sorry, Brexit's like sort of two paper cups and a piece of string, isn't it, really? I mean, he's not. This is... I, I don't quite understand how he's been elevated to this level. Um, he clearly has intellectual ability. I, I, I don't doubt that. But for him to essentially be—he was good in a one-issue, on a one-issue referendum. Yeah. Of a of a of, of a of a. But Westminster like politics and I mean, winning general elections are mu- and party manifestos and actually building coalitions is a much more tricky business. It, it, and he's not your man for that. Yeah. I think uh, Philip's point about Steve Jobs is um, fascinating because um, Cummings looks at these tech titans, you know, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and Steve Jobs is known for his reality distortion field. And reality distortion is where through sheer force of will, you manage to get people to do what they otherwise wouldn't do. And Cummings thinks he's practicing that in government, right? With the, we're going to leave on the 31st, a hundred million pound advertising campaign to suggest to the public that there is no other option oh, that guy, oh, but oh, to oh, leave oh, oh, oh. on the 31st. So with you on that. I mean, this but, advertising campaign, what a disgrace. But, but, what, a, what a disgrace. But, but the mistake he's made is Steve Jobs ultimately built iconic proje- products that worked and Brexit is a flawed project. <laughs> So he's learned the wrong lessons from Steve Jobs. But it's profoundly flawed for all kinds of reasons. And I think we should just spend, you know, it's flawed because actually, uh, in terms of values, the British are profoundly European. Our literature, our philosophy, our history. history, I mean, it's it's all about engagement with Europe. You know, we have benefited so hugely from European membership over the last 43 years. It, you know, it's breathtaking. Um, yes, London and the southeast have done better than the rest, and that should not have been allowed to happen. But nonetheless, we have benefited. We had become, via the European Union, the global kind of standard setter, and we'd thrown it all away. For what? For what? I mean, I... I you know, it's just breathtaking the kind of um, the, and you know, to enter into the the, the years ahead with a weakened world trade organisation, China and the United States at their each other's throats. You know, as medium-sized European economy, or, and you, just, you know, you just and, and the betrayal of well, we're consigning ourselves to a third-rate future. I know, you, I know, I know, you give the speech better than I do, but I mean, I just to say, you know, <coughs> but to have got to that place <clears throat> to have allowed that to become part of the kind of dominant national conversation is an extraordinary failure and why haven't you know not only why did Tony Blair when in government 
not make the European case more aggressively? Why did David Cameron, um, only at the last, become a pro-European, conniving in Europhobia while he was uh, leading the coalition government? Yeah. And you getting know. the leadership by leaving the EPP. All of that, all of that. I mean, you know, so you asked earlier, you know, how Boris Johnson... And here I think... I have a, have a particular view that you might not agree with, but I, I actually think you cannot tell the story of the political economy of our times without recognising the incredible kind of symbiotic relationship between the Tory party and the right-wing press. It's, it's enormously important. At the, you know, at the margin, we talked about people on the coast voting leave. At the margin, when you're talking about the kind of 700,000 votes that was the margin between leave and remain you know that's the Tory that's the Tory press look I, I don't know about you Sam but I'd quite happily have another couple of pints and continue talking to you Will uh, into the evening but I've only just come off a month of no alcohol so if oh, I, wow. I, if why I, is that why is that why well is I that? just I do a month a year and I ended on Saturday on my birthday um, and I, I try to do this. It's the doctor in me, I think. I, need to, I, I keep saying to my patients they shouldn't drink so much, and I need to You're sort of... You're quite right. My, yeah, you know, yeah. physician, heal thyself. Um, <laughs> but I... So I, if I had another couple of bites, we'd have a really good conversation, but I don't I, think it would make for a good podcast. <laughs> make for a better podcast. <laughs> uh, what we do traditionally at the end of our podcast is talk about outside of politics or economics or however you want to describe your academic life um what are you going to do this weekend to relax what's do you have plans for the weekend will i will um go and watch uh arsenal i hope beat bournemouth at home and i'll do are you uh, an arsenal that, fan i am an arsenal so fan that's where, that's where i will be on sunday afternoon um i hope on saturday afternoon i'll be cycling around the cotswolds um I love cycling. Oh, okay. I'm a great, I'm a great cycler. I like, I really enjoy it. You know, so I mean, I'm probably on Saturday morning writing my column um, for the Observer, um, and on um, Friday night I'm going to go with my daughter and and some friends to see uh, this uh, uh, play about poisoning. You know, the point, the. Po- <laughs> The, the, the Great Poisoning, written by Lucy Preble. You know, about, what's his name? You know, they, they saved your agent who got poisoned. Oh, well, the chap, the, the, uh, the one under the water. So the bridge. old Vic, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, they, uh, so, you know, bit of theatre, bit of football, bit of cycling. That's why I'm going to relax. What about you, Sam? God, I'm too embarrassed to admit it now. You haven't got any plans. Children, and I'm actually doing an event for The Economist on Saturday. Okay. On Brexit, what Brexit means in the future. So I'm going up to Manchester to do that. Well, like last week, I'll be watching rugby, but I'm also off to Wokingham, start of the campaign. How is the World Cup going? Are you? Are you? I mean, I, yeah, we're, we're doing all right. We're doing I okay, think, are we? We're doing all right. We're, we're sort of probably looking. I think we're quarterfinal, semi-final at the moment. But you know, fingers crossed, we might do better. And then, yeah, the rest of the time, if I'm not campaigning in Wokingham this weekend, I will also be with my family, um, as, as like Sam. Uh, we both have young children, Will, so I'll be doing that. My youngest is 30, so that's my. I've got two grandchildren who I saw last weekend. Your work is finished. You started. You started. <laughs> work, your work is finished. If, you, if you've got a 30-year-old. <laughs> Well, and that's the end of this week's edition of On The House. We'll see you next week for another post-politics prorogation pint. With luck, it will be the last prorogation for a long time. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. In the meantime, thanks to Will Hatton of The Observer. What's in today, this Sunday's column? Oh, you haven't read the arguments that you heard... Um, in this podcast, I mean, I gotta, <laughs> who, we, needed, we needed some government, but who's going to lead it? Great. Well, it's goodbye from me, Sam Jima. And it's goodbye from me, Philip Lee. We'll see you next time. Goodbye from me. Thank you for the invitation to come on, by the way. And I, re- I reiterate what I said earlier. We need more politicians to show the kind of bravery that you've done. Well done to you both. Thank you. Thank you.